scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we come to you this morning. And uh, for many of us, our hearts are very heavy with grief because this world is dangerous and evil gets all over us. And Lord, our prayer is that you would deliver us, that you would keep evil from getting in us, and that you would feed us this morning with your grace and your mercy and your love that is found in Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. If you haven't uh, figured it out by now, uh, life is full of tests. And uh, those tests are of so many types and for so many purposes. Uh, and you can think of kind of the formal tests uh, that, that people have to take. Uh, there's the ACT or there's your qualifying exams. And these tests, they, they qualify you for acceptance uh, into some institution or program that you want in. And of course, there's also things like the Navy SEALs test, which uh, you have to pass in order to become a Navy SEAL. But there are other tests, like fitness tests, uh, which are more about measuring you, showing you something about yourself and uh, how your fitness is. And then, of course, there are things like DNA tests, which reveal you something about your history and uh, who you belong to, which strand of human history uh, is, 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 your, is the blood that, that you have. Like, where does that run? And uh, th- those are kind of fun to talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about informal tests, the kind of tests that just make up all of life. You get your patients tested, right, constantly, often by your children if you have them. Uh, you get your endurance tested with various circumstances in life that come on you, and uh, you've got to figure out, like, do I have what it takes to persevere, to muscle through this? And then, of course, you get your faith tested by horrible things and uh, tragic turns of events. Life is full of tests. There are big tests and there are little tests. And sometimes I think many of us feel like we're failing all the little ones. And so we're, we're greatly anxious about the big ones. And here's the thing that the scriptures tell us over and over again, is that in the hands of God, These tests become things by which he makes his people into something beautiful. It's like the pressure on a a lump of coal that actually is the conditions that make the diamond. And this is why this is important this morning. Because as we've been looking at this prayer over the past uh, five weeks, throughout the season of Lent, one of the things um, that we've come to understand is this prayer is intended by Jesus to form and shape the people of God and to who he wants them to be. And when you think about the tests of life, prayer is one of the main ways that we prepare for them. And the Lord's prayer, therefore, is prep work for the tests of life. We come to this last line this morning, and it's so important but so 
often overlooked, and I would even say misunderstood. But one of the ways to approach it is to recognize we will only become a people who honor God's name, who live for his kingdom, who do his will, when and as we are delivered from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the last line in the prayer as we find it in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to ask three questions of this text this morning. And the first one is this. What in the world does this mean? Now, we're so familiar with it, even if you're not yet a Christian, you're probably like, okay, I kind of get it. Like, yeah, don't be tempted. I don't want to be tempted. God, help me not be tempted, blah, 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 blah. But our first challenge is this. The Greek word that is translated temptation is the Greek word pyrasmos. And it's a little tricky to translate because it has a range of uses. Sometimes it means something like trials, tribulations, tests. Sometimes it means external enticements to sin. This is how it's used when it's describing the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the evil one. Externally enticed, presented with options that go against the way of God. And then sometimes this word is used to describe our internal desires. What we call indwelling sin and Jesus had no misplaced desires, but James tells us that when we are tempted, we are led astray by the evil desires within. So you look at this and you say, what, how are we to understand this first line uh, in this verse? Is it, is it saying you need to, we're supposed to ask God not to tempt us? Like we're saying, God, please don't entice me to sin. That would be incredibly weird, by the way. Why pray for God not to do something that he won't and can't do? Uh, James, the apostle, also says, when, when you're being tempted, don't think God is tempting me. <laughs> he doesn't tempt people. Okay? God tests us, but he does not entice us to sin. So it can't mean that. Okay, well, maybe it means we're supposed to ask God, God, get me out of here. right? <laughs> don't let me suffer in any way. God, please keep me from all suffering. From the trials and the tribulations. But that's, that's a bit strange too. Because Jesus clearly teaches his, his disciples that they're going to suffer. And in fact, many passages in the Bible affirm how God works in and through our suffering. So let me say it this way. You can pray for the end of war and the elimination of all suffering and sorrow. In fact, that's part of what it means for God's kingdom to come. But this last line of the prayer is about something else. And it's helpful when we read the first half with the second half. Deliver us from evil. Father, when evil comes, deliver us. Now here's how I want you to think about this. Evil will get on you. But Jesus is teaching us to ask God to not let evil get in us. Have its way with us. And we need help. That's why we cry out to the Father. The devil is too strong. We are too weak. But God hears the cries of his desperate children. I think this is why translators have chosen temptation in the first half. Because in times of testing, the great danger is evil getting in you. 
Now, I want to draw out three implications from this real quickly uh, before we move on to the next question. And the first is this. You are not a hero, and neither am I. So don't pretend to be one. We, we don't say, bring on temptation. Like, I got this. We pray, protect and deliver us, O Lord. Father, do not let this test become a temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, you know we can't stand up very well under much pressure. So deliver us from the seduction and the deception of evil. Translators debate whether the Greek words at the end should be evil or evil one. The Greek can go either way. But you know what? It's actually not that important. Because it's you're saying either deliver me from doing evil or deliver me from doing what the evil one wants me to do. And it adds up to about the same thing. Doesn't much matter. But realize you're not a hero and I'm not a hero. We need to ask for God's mercy and help. But here's the second thing. And this is what does matter. The real enemy is evil, not pain. See, 10,000 tons of suffering, as the Puritans used to say, cannot ruin you. But one ounce of sin can. Most of our prayers, if we look at them and kind of add them up, are about avoiding pain and increasing comfort. And it's fine to pray for that. But what if we prayed more about guarding our hearts from evil? Because evil is the real enemy. And that's what Jesus is telling us to ask the Father to protect us from. And then here's the third implication. Don't be surprised when evil comes. You know, I heard one person say it this way. Most of the trouble we have is because we are surprised when we have trouble. <laughs> We're shocked. We're alarmed. What? I'm living a good life, so life should go good for me. And it's so simplistic and naive. But here's the thing. Jesus is conditioning us to expect, to expect suffering and hardship. How is he doing that? By telling us to pray about it all the time. Look, don't be surprised when it comes. And also realize God uses trials and tribulations in our lives to reveal what we're ultimately trusting in and to refine our trust and faith in him. It's like he's laying us on the anvil because he's reshaping and remaking us. And we cry out, God, when evil comes, when it gets on me, please help it not get in me. Now, here's, here's the second question I want to entertain. What are some ways that evil gets in us? And you know, it's so appropriate that we're talking about this on Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, as we heard in our uh, confession of sin, the text that we used in, in, in there, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he looks over the city and he starts weeping. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you under my wings. I wanted to protect you, but you wouldn't have it. You were not willing and as the story goes on, we, we realize that there is a rejection of the way of Jesus. And that is evil getting in us. Think about it for a second. You know, we, we're waving the palms here today. And that's great and fine. And I have no desire to put an end to all that. But, you know, the palms were not Jesus' chosen symbol. 
The palms were the chosen symbol of the people. Do you know what Jesus' chosen symbol was? It was a donkey. The donkey signaled something so different about his kingdom that he comes in lowliness and humility and that he comes rejecting the way of violence as a way of establishing his kingdom. Jesus didn't come to fight evil with the sword. He comes to subvert it through sacrificial love. And that's a challenge to us because when evil comes into our lives or comes near our lives, we have a habit of going a different way than the way of Jesus. We go the way of vengeance. A real harm is suffered. A real wrong is endured. A real evil comes upon us. And we find that white hot rage welling up inside of us. It's appropriate. But we begin to hear the whisper of lies. We begin to make justifications for unmeasured retaliation. It's the way of vengeance instead of the way of Jesus. For others of us, it's the way of suspicion. Doubting the goodness of God. It gets seeds sown in our hearts and we begin to question him. And whether he is actually good. And this is how it all began. In the garden, Genesis 3, the whispers of the evil one were, God's holding back on you. He doesn't want, to be, he doesn't want you to be fully you. He's in the way. So you go your own way. And this is how temptation went down for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4. When the evil one whispered the lies, he said, if you're God's son, what are you doing starving here in the wilderness? Take it in your own hands, Jesus. In fact, I'll broker a deal with you. You can have all that he's promised and you don't have to go the way of the cross. It's the way of suspicion, but not the way of Jesus. And then, of course, there is the way of bitterness and resentment. Where we act like God's going to establish his kingdom right now through one angry tweet and fiery comment at a time. Father, we are not wise enough to recognize and counter the work of the evil one. Rescue us from his subtle strategies. Help us to trust you. That's what Jesus is teaching us to pray. You know, one of the ways that we resist evil getting in us when it gets on us is this. We remember the love of our Father. That's how this prayer begins. Father in heaven. And that modifies every other petition we see in here. You are crying out to your heavenly Father, which means you are an adopted child, that he chose you, that he wanted you, that he brought you into his family. And it changes the way you look at every trouble that you will ever encounter. I heard one person put it like this. Most of us respond to trouble in one of three ways. Some of us go the way of angry despair. We say, this isn't fair. There is no justice. I don't deserve this. Others of us go the way of guilty despair. I must be terrible. I must be a failure. There must be something wrong with me. I do deserve this. And then others of us, we just harden ourselves. We say, life sucks. This is the way life goes. And I don't care anymore. And so you can respond any of those three ways, and I have, and I'm sure you have as well. Or you can choose to be a Christian and say, I know I'm a sinner, but God is my father and he loves me like he loves his eternal son. Father, 
Help me obey. Help me do your will, no matter what comes. When evil comes, the way that it doesn't get in you when it's on you is when we we remain committed to doing the Father's will and we desperately need help with this. And so we pray. And this leads us to the third question. And this is where I want to hang out for a bit. How does God answer this prayer? You know, we could spend a whole lot of time and there's so much that we could say about the many deliverances that God's people experience. There's a whole history of them. And there's a history of them in this room. And we could bear faithful witness to that. But we will miss so much if we don't see how God answers this prayer in and through Jesus. See, Jesus' whole life was a test. In fact, the language of testing bookends his entire ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, right after his baptism, he is led into the wilderness where he is tempted by the evil one. It's the same Greek word, pyrasmos. And Jesus overcame. At the end of his ministry, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane, He tells his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's the same Greek word, pyrasmos. And Jesus overcame. And on that darkest night of Jesus' life, all alone in the garden, he prayed this. Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus stood in front of the great furnace of evil and he overcame, committed to doing the Father's will. There is so much more here than we have time to unpack this morning. But I want you to see that Jesus is undoing all of our failures. He's reenacting the testing of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were offered life apart from obedience to God's command and they failed. But Jesus triumphs. He's reenacting the testing of Israel. Remember, Israel passed through the waters, the Red Sea, and it was tested in the wilderness, and they failed. They worshiped other gods. Jesus passes through the waters of baptism, and right after is tested in the wilderness by the evil one, and he triumphs. Israel was faithless. Jesus was faithful all the way through. He passed the tests, he's qualified to be Savior. He's revealed as Messiah and he triumphs because Jesus defeated temptation. That means you can not going to have hope even when we fail and we can pray, God, don't let us be overcome. Father, help us. But you know, there's more to the story because soon after Jesus faced the ultimate test, which was the cross. And at the cross, evil got All over him. It swallowed him whole. It devoured him. But it did not get in him. In fact. He got inside it. And he blew it up from the inside. Conquering sin and death. By his resurrection from the dead. So there is hope. Even in the face. Of unspeakable evil. Even in the face of death. 
What does that sound like to hope in circumstances like that? I think it sounds like this. Chad Scruggs, fellow pastor in our denomination, is the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, to which Covenant School in Nashville is connected to. And it was his daughter that was one of the children killed on Monday. And this is what Chad said. Through tears we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus and he will raise her to life once again. That's what it looks like to not have evil get in you when it's gotten all over you. Friends, our hope, our confidence, our rest, our answer is found in the triumph of Jesus and nowhere else. Palm Sunday is headed towards Good Friday. And Good Friday is followed by Easter. And Easter leads to resurrection life. You know, you and I, we want an explanation for the problem of evil. But what God gives us is an answer, a solution. And it is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it changes everything. You're going to still face trials. Don't be surprised. That's what Peter actually writes in 1 Peter 4. He's like, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes on you. Evil is going to get on you. But you can know that God is up to something in it. He's hammering you on his anvil. And Peter also says, this will result in your faith bringing glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ at his return. And even in the face of unspeakable evil, we have the death and resurrection of Jesus As our only comfort and hope. You see because he went into the great furnace for you. You can know that he will walk through every little furnace with you. That's the good news at the heart of the gospel. We've been saying this every Sunday that we've talked about the Lord's prayer. That Jesus is its ultimate answer. Jesus is the father's answer. To our prayer. Jesus is the answer to the prayer that he taught us to pray. Daryl Johnson in his book, 57 Words That Changed the World, uh, says this. And I'll riff off what he says. We pray, hallowed be your name, and Jesus shows up. The perfect revelation and manifestation of the Father's character. We pray your kingdom come, and Jesus shows up. The one who brings the rule and reign of the Father. We pray your will be done and Jesus shows up. The one who does his father's will, not his own. Even in the face of unspeakable evil. We pray give us bread and Jesus shows up. And becomes the bread of life who can satisfy our hungry hearts. We pray cancel our debts and Jesus shows up. Taking our debts and nailing them to the cross. And empowering us to cancel the debts of others. We pray rescue us from the evil one. And Jesus shows up. Overcoming the tempter's subtle schemes. Disarming him through death on a cross. You may have noticed as we've gone through this prayer um, each Sunday. That how we pray it in our church and how Christians throughout the world and throughout history have prayed it um, is not exactly the same as what you find in the Gospel of Matthew. Because we end it with a doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. 
Because somewhere in the early church in the first few centuries, those words adapted from 1 Chronicles 29 got attached to whenever the church would pray this prayer. And how appropriate. Because as we become shaped by this prayer, as we become the people that Jesus intended us to be, it results in praise and honor and glory to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what else? The church begins to become a place where God's name is hallowed, where his rule and reign is made known, where we live in dependence on him, where we are forgiven again and again and learning to forgive. And we begin to discover God's power in protecting us and shielding us from the seduction of evil. So this is how I want to end. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.